All right, let's do this. We are kicking off our brand new message series today called Finding Freedom in a World uh, That Seeks to Bind You. I understand that there are many things in this world that seek to bind us, to control us, to enslave us and imprison us. Things like guilt and shame and anxiety and religion, the opinions of other people, fear, anger, bitterness, racism, materialism, hurt, the pursuit of pleasure. And so the the focus of this message series is to help you and I to find freedom from all those things and from many more as well. And before we dive into this topic for the day, I, I, I want to read a few passages about, about freedom. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, after defeating the enemy in the wilderness, it comes into the synagogue in his hometown, and he's handed a scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he begins his public ministry with these words. Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And by the way, that's what he's called us to do as well, right? The very same thing. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, because things are going to try to bind you and enslave you. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. James, Jesus' half-brother, writes these words. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, who looks intently into God's word, hopefully that's you, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the word gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. One more. John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A few verses down, he says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's November the 1st, 2020, and this morning we're going to talk about finding freedom from fear. Question, any fear in your life right now? Are you afraid of anything? Then I would encourage you to lean in this morning, whether in this room or online, and hear what your God would say to you. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we love you. We humbly come into your presence. Most of us have met fear a time or two, and maybe some right now are thick in its grips. And Father God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds. Open up mine, Lord, because you do not intend for us to be a slave to fear because we are your children and so, God, I, I pray that you'll enable me to speak these words in a way that brings you honor. And, God, my confidence is not in me. It's not in the words I put on paper, but it's the words that you yourself breathed 2,000 years ago and your Holy Spirit who indwells each and every one of us and who's moving in this world today. We love you. Do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. 
At 8.17 p.m. on the evening of March the 3rd, 1943, air raid sirens began to scream in London, England. Taxicab drivers immediately pulled off the road and, and buses emptied out their passengers. Motorists slammed on their brakes and people began looking into the sky and running down the road. Some fell face on the sidewalk, sidewalk and covered their heads. Still others cried, they're beginning to bomb us. Gunfire could be heard in the distance. And nearby aircraft, anti-aircraft forces began launching a steady stream of rockets. Uh, people continued looking in the sky to see the Nazi bombers, and even though they could not see them, it did not do anything to dampen their hysteria. Uh, um, many people raced toward an underground station where more than 500 citizens had already gathered who would be joined quickly by another 1,500. And the trouble began when these safety seekers all reached the entrance to the station at the very same time. A, a young mother carrying a small baby, as she tried to walk down the 19 uneven steps, she stumbled and fell, causing people in the domino effect to fall on top of her. And what made matters worse was the late arrivers thought that they were being deliberately prevented from entering the station. They weren't, but they began pushing. Nevertheless, the chaos lasted only a few minutes, but it took four hours to disentangle the bodies. In the end, 173 men, women, and children had died, and not a single bomb was dropped. You see, it turns out that they were not killed by the Nazi bombs. They were killed by fear. You know, fear loves a good stampede, doesn't it? Fear loves to send people running frantically, shoving along the way. And understand, fear's payday is, is blind panic, sleepless nights, and disquieted hearts. And there's no doubt about it that fear has been making an extremely good living lately. The year 2020 has been a year where fear has occupied center stage. An unrelenting fear fueled by things such as COVID-19, the coronavirus, shutdowns, lockdowns, layoffs, the downturn in the economy, huge upticks in violence, riots, looting, racism, division, the upcoming election on Tuesday. And it seems to me that the media and our government leader, leaders, rather than trying to ease our fears, they want to promote our fears because it's how they get their ratings and it's how they get elected. And I find that absolutely disgusting. We deserve better. Not to mention all the fears that were already here before 2020 checked into the game. Terrorism, conflict in the Middle East, unstable dictators collecting missiles like young kids collect baseball cards. We fear so much. We fear going broke. We fear finishing last. We fear for our children. We fear for our grandchildren. We fear for our aging parents. We fear about not having enough money. We fear failure. We fear not measuring up. We, hear, we fear having those tough conversations. We fear if church will ever get back to normal. We fear the mole on the back of our neck. <laughs> And we, for the tick of the clock, that inches us closer and closer, tick, 
tick-tock, tick-tock to our own grave. And, And listen, because of our fears, we create elaborate investment systems, security systems, defense and military systems to keep us safe and to make us feel secure. Yet we Yet we consume more narcotics than any generation before us. Uh, One psychologist recently said that the average child faces, experiences and lives with, the average child today experiences and lives with the same level of fear as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. We are a fear-filled people. Fear seems of taking on a hundred-year hundred lease next door to us and set up shop. And listen, for all the energy that fear takes from us, it has not done us any good. I mean, how many of us would say, you know, my life has been so much better since fear came in? I understand fear never wrote a poem. Fear never negotiated a peace treaty. Fear never pulled a person out of Racism or a country out of poverty, hope did, courage did, faith did, but fear does nothing but take, does nothing but hurt. Fear does nothing but compress and reduce the life that was once life-giving, a life-giving source into a vacant, run-down barn where life no longer lives. Fear herds us into prison and locks the door. Question, wouldn't you like to walk out? I mean, wouldn't you like to walk out? I mean, can you imagine living a life untouched by fear? Can you imagine if if faith rather than fear was the default mode of your life? I mean, seriously, imagine your life without fear. Imagine if I had a magnet, a fear magnet, and, and, and that I could run that magnet over your heart and I could pull out every shred of fear that you have. Fear about what tomorrow brings. Fear about what other people think. Fear about failure. Fear about death. Fear about not mattering. If, if I could pull every bit of fear out of you, would your day be any different? Would you be a better parent? Would you be a better neighbor? Would you be a better spouse, a better worker, better person, a better Jesus follower? Can you imagine your life without fear? And here's the deal. God doesn't want us to be afraid, right? In fact, one of the most spoken commandments in the entire Bible is the command, do not be afraid. Now, some people try to get cute and say, well, there's 365 times. I really don't think that's correct. One for each day, right? Sounds cute. But there's a bunch of them, all right? There's hundreds of times where God says, do not be afraid to fear not. From Genesis to Revelation, the first time that he ever said those four words, do not be afraid, was to a guy named Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Abraham was afraid because it's been 20 plus years since God made his promise and he still had not had a child with his wife Sarah. And God shows up and he says this, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I kind of like that. I'm your shield, I'm your reward. Abraham, ultimately it's not really about the promise. It's about me. It's about having me. And and those four words were last spoken in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 spoken by Jesus to a church full of believers living in Smyrna. Jesus says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. A significant amount of time, but not a real long time. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. 
And, and listen, from Genesis to Revelation, God, God said those four words to maybe some people you heard of. Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Elijah, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, disciples, and the Apostle Paul. Which tells us two things. God's people are going to be afraid. And that God does not want us to be afraid. So he says, do not be afraid and to fear not. Has anybody, like maybe a parent or a friend ever said to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Like, how helpful was that? I mean, you're like, really, that's it? Don't be afraid. Why didn't I think of that, right? Dang, I'm afraid and I just don't have to be afraid. That's so easy, right? It's not always that helpful. So God does not want us to be afraid. And if there's one command that I think we want to obey and learn how to live out, I think it's this one, right? Like, how in the world do I live out this command to not be afraid? Amen? And, and I got to tell you, I, I'm, well, I, I'm messed up. And I've been messed up for a long time, and I'll be messed up till he takes me home, right? I just, you know, and, and uh, you're messed up too, so I'm always in great company. And you at home, you're messed up. And some of your hair is even more messed up because you didn't come in here, right? I don't have to do my hair today. You got no makeup on, right? Seriously, what are you doing, right? But I'm pumped up about this sermon because I know fear personally, intimately. And I know that fear has kept me from doing and becoming all that God wants me to be. And so today, November 1st, 2020, I stand before you as somebody who knows fear, who's kind of tired of fear limiting me, and also someone who's 100% confident in God's word and God's spirit that some of us in this room and listening online are going to begin to find some freedom from fear. Amen. So this morning, I, I want to unpack four truths that will help us to find freedom from fear. And to help us remember them, I made, obviously I made an acrostic, right? I, I love doing that. It helps me to, to remember things. And, and I chose the word fear, right? And you spell fear, F-E-A-R, right? And, and uh, so are you ready? Are you ready to begin finding some freedom from fear? The F stands for fear God uh, above all. Fear God above all. And, and now Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus gives a, 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 very, a very powerful and, and, and a very to-the-point teaching about fear. And, and, and this teaching is kind of sandwiched between two field trips that Jesus takes his guys on the Sea of Galilee. A field trip in Matthew 8 and a field trip in Matthew chapter 14. So in Matthew chapter 8, uh, Jesus takes his disciples on their first field trip. And the purpose of this field trip is to teach them about fear and to set up what he's about to teach them in Matthew chapter 10, two chapters later. And when this chapter opens up, Jesus' ministry is really, it's really heating up. He, he healed a man of leprosy. He healed uh, the paralyzed servant of a centurion. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter tried to get him to stop, but he did it anyhow. No, just kidding. You know, um, he healed a bunch of other sick people, and he cast out a bunch of demons. Really heating up. And Matthew 8, verse 18 says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he took up an offering. No. <laughs> when he saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Like, okay, I've been around the crowds long enough. Let's, let's get out of here. Uh, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
And, and listen, this teacher of law, he had no interest in following Jesus. He just wanted to get in on this new and exciting thing. So Jesus lets this guy know, okay, let me tell you that following me does not come without a cost, right? We're not staying in, be- in five-star hotels. You know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but guess what? We're not even staying in the Motel 6, right? We, we got no place to lay our head. Implication is the guy walked away. Another comes up and says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father, then I'll follow you. And listen, this doesn't mean the guy's dad was dead and he wanted to go to the funeral. What he's saying is, hey, after my dad is gone, then I'll follow you, right? And uh, Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And apparently this guy walked away. Then we read, then he, then he got into the boat and the disciples followed him. Jesus got into the boat and they followed him into the boat because that's what followers do. Followers do what Jesus did. Jesus got in the boat, so they got into the boat. And, and they begin to row out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Matthew writes, suddenly a ferocious storm came up on the lakes so that the waves swept over the boat. And now Matthew was a tax collector, right? He's writing this, and he remembers that day. I don't think he's been out many times on the sea, and he remembered the days distinctly. And when he described the storm, he he goes like, hey, I got to find a good word for it, right? Because this was some big storm. And so he grabbed his Greek thesaurus off of his shelf, starts searching for words. He he bypasses the Greek word meaning thunderstorm, spring shower, and he stops on this one word, takes out his highlighter and highlights it, and it's a Greek word, seismos, seismos. Right, you ever heard of that word? It's still in our vocabulary today, right? A seismologist studies what? A seismograph measures what? So Matthews remember not just a small storm, but he remembers an earth-shaking storm that bounces this boat up and down, a seismos. And Matthew only uses this, this word two other times. It wants to describe how the earth shook when Jesus died on the cross. And the second time to describe what happened at the cemetery when he rose from the grave. So apparently, the defeat of sin on the cross and death in the tomb is now partnered with the defeat of death on the Sea of Galilee. The storm came, and it's a sudden storm. Ever have a sudden storm hit you? Right? You're like, oh, what a lovely day it is. Isn't life wonderful? And then boom, right? We're having church and life, and boom. And next thing you know, COVID-19, right? What the heck is this, right? No one was expecting it, right? That wasn't on my calendar. I'm sure it was not on yours. It's a severe storm out of nowhere. The waves are crashing over the boat. Uh, the boat is filling up with water. And the weather started getting rough. And the tiny ship was tossed. If it wasn't for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ships are ground on the shore of this uncharted desert. Ah, with Gilligan, the skipper too. The millionaire and his wife. The movie star, the professor and Marianne. Here okay. And, 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 and. If my wife is in a room, she would say, free up your brain cells so you can find your keys. 
But it's dark and it's loud and they're soaking wet. Their hair is mashed to their face. They're doing everything they can to try to keep the boat afloat. And Matthew says, but Jesus was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him up. And it wasn't this, hey, Jesus, wake up, right? Because it's a storm. It's loud, right? Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, Mark, who wasn't there, but most people believe that Mark was a, a scholar. Mark was a traveling companion to Peter, and that Mark's words are actually Peter's gospel. He adds this, don't you care, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like, hey, Jesus, how about a little help here? You ever felt that way and you're, you're going through trouble? Jesus, don't you care that I'm having these financial problems? Jesus, don't you care that this relationship is so tough right now? And, and so they're in great danger and they're terrified. And Jesus is sleeping. And if you're a Christian, this is like one of our greatest fears, right? And, in fact, some of you feel like, no, this is my life. This is my life. I, I'm in trouble, and Jesus is sleeping. I, I'm in trouble. I'm in a hard time, and God is nowhere to be found. There's a storm, a physical storm, a relational storm, a, a financial storm, a job storm, uh, something going on in my extended family storm. And you're praying like crazy, and Jesus is sleeping. And listen, this is important, right? If you don't get anything else, get this. If you ever feel that way, you're not the first person to experience that. Like the people who Jesus knew the best and loved the most experienced the very thing. And it wasn't just some theoretical, I'm praying and I don't see anything. I mean, they're praying and struggling and Jesus is six feet away. And he's actually sleeping. And what this means, brothers and sisters, when you feel that sense of distance from God, where is God? What is God up to? It's as if, it's as if Jesus left us this story to say, it's okay. It's okay. You're not alone. It's not as bad as you think it is. You're not the first to feel this. You're not the first to fear this. He replied, you of little faith. I don't think that's what they were when they woke him up, right? Hey, help us. You of little faith. Why are you afraid? And I kind of imagine one of them raising their hand, um, permission to speak freely, sir? Jesus, didn't you, why are we afraid? Didn't you read verse 24? Like, there's a storm, and the boat is filling up with water, and we're about to drown. And when you're about to drown, you're afraid. <laughs> what a silly question, Jesus. And again, this miracle is not there to show us that Jesus has the power over nature. He's done that many times. It's to teach them about fear. Teach about fear and listen. This is important. When Jesus finally got up, because he wasn't even up yet. <laughs> when he finally got up, he didn't panic. Listen, God doesn't panic. Your Savior doesn't panic. We panic. God doesn't panic. And isn't that good news? We panic and run into the nearest underground station. God doesn't panic. Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. 
And, and what is interesting, Mark in his gospel, remember Mark is the words of Peter, he concludes this way. Like, like when he wants to talk about this, you know, he, he took the Greek word for fear, both the noun and the verb, and used both of them. And here's what he literally said. And we feared a great fear and asked each other, who is this? We feared a great fear. Go look it up. It's in the original Greek. Use choice. And, and here's the deal, right? Everything is calm. This is after the storm is calm. And these guys are beginning to connect the dots. They're beginning to put two and two together. And they see that there really is something to be afraid of. And we feared a great fear. You see, suddenly, powerfully, their fear of his, uh, their fear of the one whose presence they were in overwhelmed their fear of the storm. You know, when I was a kid, sometimes my mom would say to me, Stephen, there's nothing to be afraid of. Well, on that boat, Jesus, guys figured out that there really was something to be afraid of. And that perhaps they were afraid of the wrong thing. And for a fleeting moment, they got it. Their confidence in Jesus overwhelmed their fear of the storm. And listen, the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach them was this that you do not have to allow your fear to overwhelm you because there's something, there's someone more overwhelming than your fear. And the way I would word that is, you don't have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of because I am greater than your fear. And then a few days later with this experience on the boat still fresh in their minds, Jesus gathers his guys together and basically says, okay, let's talk about this. You, we had that field trip a few days ago and like you all failed. Right? It didn't go so well. But you did learn a very important lesson. You don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of because I am greater than what you fear. And then Jesus tells them that, hey, you know what, pretty soon I'm going to send you guys out and you're going to drive out demons. You're going to proclaim the message. You're going to heal people. And they're like, yes. But then it begins to take a dark turn in Matthew 10. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, if you're a sheep and you got a dinner, dinner invitation from a wolf, would you go? No. <laughs> I am not showing up because I'm probably the dinner. Right? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He says, you'll be arrested. They'll flog you in the synagogues. You'll be handed over to governors and kings. People you love and care about will betray you. And everybody will hate you because of me. And then he says, don't be afraid. What? Don't be afraid? I'm going to be beaten, thrown in prison? Don't be afraid? And before they could marinate too long on that, Jesus pulls them in into his teaching about fear. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Really? Like... That's like all of me. Hey, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. They just killed my body. Right? <laughs> That's not. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid. What? So we should be afraid? Of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, Jesus is saying, 
If you're going to fear something, you should fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. If you're going to fear something or someone, fear the one who cannot just hurt your body, but can hurt your soul. And Jesus is like, hey, do you remember a little boat ride? Where you, you were afraid of the wrong thing, when you were afraid of the storm, when you discovered that there was someone you should be more afraid of? When you feared a great fear? And then Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? They're like, yeah, I think that's what I saw on the ad from Kroger last week. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. In other words, don't be afraid because you're very valuable to God. Don't be afraid because God knows your name, because God numbers your hairs because God knows when you fall to the ground. God knows your circumstances. God, God's concerned about your personal life. He, he knows what's going on. And listen, when we find ourselves in a fierce storm where the winds and waves are beating against us, when fear is overwhelming and flooding our spirit, to know, to know with confidence that God knows what we're going through. It's exactly what we need to hear. So Jesus says, rest assured, God knows and God cares even when bad things happen. Even when it seems like your prayers are not being answered, you can trust him. Then he says, hey, let's go on another field trip in Matthew 14. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Jesus made the disciples. Why did he have to make them? Because they remember the last boat ride. It's like, I'm not getting in a boat ever again. And the way I kind of picture it, and it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Here's how I picture Jesus. Hey, guys, we're going on another boat ride. Okay, Jesus. And he said, come on, Peter, get in. Matthew, get in. John, get in. James, get in. Okay, okay. And next thing you know, he pushes the boat, and he's like, Hey, guys, all right, I'll see you in a bit. I'll see you in a bit. After he dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so for hours, they're working hard all night to try to do what Jesus asked them to do, but they're not getting anywhere. Been there, done that one, right? Because the wind is blowing against them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to meet them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And this is where Jesus adds that final touch to his blessing about fear for both them and us. You don't have to be afraid even when... There's something to be afraid of because I am greater than what you fear and because I am with you. To find freedom from fear, fear God above all. Fear God above the storm. Fear God above the disease. Fear God above the hardship. Fear God above the difficulty. Fear God above the pandemic. Fear God above the upcoming election. Fear God above the bad doctor's report. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God above all. 
And there's some great benefits to fear God above all. I, I put some things in your notes that you can look up, some scriptures, but benefits that come upon those who fear God above all. Scripture says that the angel of the Lord encamps around them, that they lack nothing, that he, he brings his salvation near them, that he pours out his love and compassion on them. Those who fear God, fear God above all, that he gives them wisdom how to live life to its fullest. He fulfills the desire of the hearts of those who fear him above all. He protects them. He's a fortress and refuge for them and their children. He leads them into a new and better life. He gives them wealth and honor. And besides all these things, he calls them his child, his bride, his friends. For God above all is a way to find freedom from fear. And so is E, evaluate your fear. Why are you afraid? Because here's the deal. We, we have an enemy, right? The enemy threatens us, and God warns us, right? And, and, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, right? Because it can seem almost the same, you know? And so we got to discern, how, how do I know if this fear I'm feeling is, is God telling me I'm about to do something stupid, right? Or if it's the enemy trying to keep me from becoming who God wants me to become, right? I have this fear, this sense of fear. How do I know where it's coming from? And yeah, like, here, here's like five really quick things and, and, uh, that you can do. I think I have those. Maybe. Maybe I do. If not, I'll tell you. Maybe not. Oh, there we are. Sorry. I'm hard to follow, I know. Um, a warning from God is rooted in truth, right? A threat from the enemy is embedded with lies, right? So you got this fear, okay? Is, is what you're feeling backed up by the word? How does the word line up with the word, Right? Okay, next, a warning from God revolves around what will happen. You do this, this will happen. A threat from the enemy revolves around what might happen. See, fear likes to keep you uncertain, right? I don't know, is this going to happen or is it not going to happen, right? That's how you discern, right? You've got to evaluate your fear. Is it from God or is it from the enemy? Here, here, here's the next one. Um, a warning from God motivates, right? It, it motivates you to go in the right direction. Uh, a threat from the enemy, right, is just like you're paralyzed, Right? You can't do anything. You're just kind of stuck, right? Where God's, I want it from God, it motivates us, right? I want it from God instructs specifically, right? Like here, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to stop doing. A threat from the enemy condemns vaguely, right? right? Well, you're just not a good person. You, you'll just never measure up. You'll never amount to nothing. You're not really worthy of God. It's just this vague, dark cloud that hangs over you, right? And if that ever hangs over you, know that's not from God, because if God wants to tell you something, he's going to tell you something and tell you straight, right? Next, a warning from God is designed to keep you in the game, right? Yeah, I, I'm good. It's tough, but I'm going to keep going. A threat for the enemy is, is designed to take you out of the game, right? Why not just give up? What's the point? Why bother? I'm going to throw in the towel. This relationship will never work, right? I'll never get my, fin I'll never get my finances in order, w whatever it is, right? Just, just give up, quit, tap out, right? So, you, so in order to find freedom from fear, fear God above all. Evaluate your fears. A, attack your fear with God's truth. Okay, these last ones are coming quick, but these are stinking important. Can you smell their importance? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not well. Uh, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? And, and I'm going to give you some examples. I may not hit all. They're all in your notes, right? Um, but 
here's what you do. You attack your fear with God's truth. Like you attack the fear of not mattering with God's truth. Like Ephesians 2.10, right? Enemy says, you don't matter. You can't do nothing. You're not important. You know, other people are more important than you. God has no good plans for you. Then you say, well, wait a second. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What do you mean I don't matter? I'm a masterpiece of God. Get in my face, devil, right? The fear of sinning beyond God's reach and grace, right? You messed up. You said you wouldn't do it. You did it again. And then you say, and the devil says, God's done with you. And then you go, wait a second. I remember, um, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think that's in the Bible, Mr. Satan man, right? And I think 1 John 1.9 says that if I confess my sins, that God is faithful and just, and he'll forgive me. Uh, you attack your fear of being helpless, right, with maybe something like 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where, Paul said, where, God, where God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah, I may be weak, but that's all right, because God's power is made perfect in weakness. You, you face the fear of suffering, like, man, I don't want to suffer this, with maybe something like Romans 8, 18. But we know that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the future that one day will be revealed in us. You attack your fear about the future, maybe with Jeremiah 29, 11. You got no future. God has no plan for you. And you say, wait a second. I, I seem to remember God say that, says that his plans for me are to prosper me and to give me a hope in the future. I seem to remember, Satan, that God says that Jesus wants to prepare a place and he's coming back to get me. I think my future is looking pretty good. Yours, not so much, Satan, right? Your fear about how a difficult time might turn out, right? It's hard. I don't know how this could ever, something good come out of this mess. You go, wait a second. I seem to recall that, that God said in Romans 8, verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for the good. Not that all things are good, but in the end, we'll look and say, you know what? That was hard. That was difficult. But yet God used it for good because we have a God who's that powerful. Amen? And then maybe the fear of death, right? And maybe you tack that with 2 Corinthians 5, 8. And say, yeah, dude, I'm not really that afraid of death because I know that to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Amen? And I guarantee you, whatever thing you fear, whatever thing I fear, there is a biblical truth that we can lock and load and shoot that sucker with, right? Say, come on. You, you, what, what else you got? What else do you want to get me afraid of? Because God's truth will set me free. For God above all, evaluate your fears. Okay, is, is, that, is it God warning me or the enemy threatening me? Attack fear with the truth. And the, here's the final one. Remember always that whatever fear is surrounding you, God is surrounding it. Okay. My all-time favorite fear story is in 2 Kings chapter 6, right? I'm going to say this super fast, right? The, the king of Aram is, is coming to capture the prophet Elisha, because the prophet Elisha keeps warning the king of Israel about his plans to capture the king of Israel. And so he sends his army, and he sends his army to go and capture Elisha. And so Elijah and his servant, they go to bed, and, and they go to sleep that night. And the very next morning, they wake up, and the entire city is surrounded by an army and chariots, and they're like everywhere. And Elisha's servant says, 
Oh, sir. <laughs> what will we do now? I think, ah! Ah! <laughs> he's freaking out. Like we went to bed last night, everything was fine, and now look at this mess. And Elisha goes, don't be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of, right? And he says, those who are with us are more than those with them. And he said, okay, like, I see you and I see me. That's two. And then Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And I think he prayed that prayer out loud, right? Because if he prayed it silently, when, when God opened his eyes and he saw God's armies there, he would think, well, guess what? They showed up because Elisha prayed, you know? And so he prayed that out loud. Because the point here it, it, it is making is not that God showed up, but that God was already there, right? God was already there. He just didn't see. He said, open his eyes so he can see what's there. Then the Lord opened his eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Right? He looks up, and he sees, ah, oh, oh, yeah, they were surrounding me, but God is surrounding it. Remember always, whatever is surrounding you, whatever fear is surrounding you, God is surrounding that fear. The psalmist writes, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. John says, greater is the one who's in you than the one that's in the world, right? Always, right? He's there. When you go through a hard time, guess what? You know, sometimes it's, it'd be cool if he did it, man. I, I, you know how cool that had to be? Like you're like, you see this army about to like, destroy you. And next thing you know, you open your eyes and you see God's flaming chariots. That had to be like, okay, I'm getting a t-shirt, right? I'm getting a t-shirt about that. I can't wait to post that on Facebook. I'm going to Instagram that sucker right there, right? This is incredible, amazing. So you don't have to fear what you face when you know who you're trusting in, Right? You don't have to fear what you face when you know who you're trusting in. Trust in God, trust also in me. Here's one final verse, and we really are about done, but I really think God wants to say these words to somebody, maybe in this room, maybe someone listening online today or some other time. And if this is something you need to hear, know that I didn't say it, right? These are God-breathed words. And here's what God would say to someone right now. Because you've been taken on water and an enemy has surrounded you and you think Jesus is asleep and God hasn't shown up and nothing's getting better. You've been rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and getting nowhere. Nothing seems to be happening. And God, God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere man do to me? All he can do is kill my body and send me to my forever a little bit sooner. That's the worst he can do to me, and the worst he can do to me is actually pretty good for me. Amen? God is saying to you, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 
I am your helper. So have no fear. To find freedom from fear, fear God above all else. You don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. Because Jesus is greater than your fear. Because Jesus is with you. Evaluate your fear. Attack your fear with God's truth. And remember always, remember always, remember always, I forget a lot. (laughs) How about you? Remember always that whatever is surrounding you, is something surrounding you right now that's causing you fear and dread and panic and discouragement and worry and anxiety and insecurity, whatever is surrounding you, God is already there surrounding it. He will never fail you. He will never abandon you. He is right with you. He is faithful. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you know us. (laughs) I mean, like you're, you're superstars. Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Paul, Hezekiah, Elijah, Zechariah, Mary. God, your superstars felt fear. And God, we know that we will never live a 100% fearless life, but we know that with you, we can fear less. We can live a fear less life. We can fear less. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just help us right now to take in whatever truth you want us to take in, that I will take in whatever truth you want me to take in. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're greater than any storm and help us to fear you above the storm. Help us to evaluate our fears, to attack any fear with your truth. And remember always that you're surrounding us and that you are faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen.